Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator with MPN, and I'm here with Savannah Webb. She is an ex-drug dealer turned rapper peer coach. Uh, welcome, Savannah. Hey, that's me. Hi. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, so I am 34 years old. I am a mom. She is 17 months. Her name is Zamaya. And I live here in Helena, Montana. I didn't grow up here, but I've been here since 2007. And so pretty much Montana can't get rid of me. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in LA and I moved out here. I was homeless and just doing bad bad things, getting mixed up with drunk people, on drugs, and I had to get away. So at 19, no, no, 21, I decided to move to Montana. I do have a half sister out here who um, was getting away from gangs out there in LA, and uh, she's doing good as well. But she told me it was good out here. So I came out here, and Montana has really saved my life a couple times in the whole, in my 21 to 34. So yeah, and now I am on my um, a year, through some 13 months clean now, and I'm working on wanting to become a peer support specialist. So in the meantime, I've just picked up the peer coaching. I continue to do music. I write music. I rap and sing and um, just really am taking my recovery in a whole nother, in a whole nother sense. I've never actually done recovery this way, which has been pretty pretty magical if you can if that makes sense magical is what I'm gonna say uh there's lots of rewiring of the brain going on and and so my journey is just is just I feel beginning a new chapter so when you think about your recovery and you know like how you're uh, treating yourself in that recovery when do you know that you're doing enough for yourself in your recovery? Uh, that's a good one. At the, in the beginning of my recovery, I, I, I didn't know when that enough was enough. There was no such thing as enough. Coming from the fast city, a fast life, I was basically programmed to be a certain way. I was programmed to think of all 10 sides of a box, yeah. And, and um, you know, be on my toes at all times and then do this, be an overachiever and um, beat the system. And so there was no enough for me. And, and so in the beginning of my recovery, the, the just being sober, I thought was the enough part in the beginning. So I was like, okay, I'm being, I'm being sober and, and that's enough. Well, that's not what recovery meant to me at the time. I didn't even realize that. And then, um, and so when I, there was a, in June of last year, I went and had an incident where it kind of jump started my recovery. And, and I knew that 
I needed to have a change. So I lost my daughter. I didn't have a place to stay. And so just not using or drinking just wasn't, wasn't enough. And then that the mentality of doing more kicked in. So then I was just, oh, okay, here is boxes. I have to check here's CPS, here's courts, here's life, you know, and, um, music wasn't even in the picture at that point in time anymore. And, and so I was just checking all these boxes and living my life in chaos because that's just what we like and what we're used to. Right. And we don't know any different. And so that just still wasn't enough. And I didn't understand that there was a point in time when I needed to stop and, and go within and do self-care and, and, start recovering from internally instead of making it look like I'm doing good externally, which is all I'm really used to. So that part of recovery, that was hard. Like who wants to go within? Like, I don't want to be there. Thank you. No, thank you. I, I feel like I know myself good enough. So to sit with all the guilt and the shame and your ego and all this, you know, that piles up that you used in order to mask all that, it started to come up. And, and so um, but that's when I knew that I was doing enough for my sobriety was when I went within and I stopped and I, and I dealt with the traumas that were the reason why I kept going out, the reason why I lost my daughter and the reason why I was the way I was. Enough was never enough until I started healing internally. So when you talk about uh, trauma. Can you tell me a little bit about how you think that uh, the traumas that you experienced influenced your um, your choices until until you decided to uh, embrace recovery? You know the the struggles that you went through. Can you talk a little bit about how your trauma played into that? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. The before the word trauma, I didn't I didn't put it two and two together with my upbringing and the programming that I had and how I was trained to do certain things. And I didn't picture those as trauma. I pictured those as a way of being. And so when I started separating those with trauma and who I am as a person, it started to all come out at once. Anyway, so <laughs> the traumas of my upbringing, the trauma of, um, of money, of thinking that we didn't have enough money and this is how we have to get it. And by any means necessary, you know, I, I, we had a family job at very young age, cleaning parking lots and, you know, being able to pay our bills through our family, just collecting cans and doing whatever means necessary to make a living. And so that trauma turned into having lack and, and the lack of money turned into idolizing money and the idolizing of money turned into drug dealing and the drug dealing turned into wanting to, you know, be friends with El Chapo and just do it big or go home, never go home actually. So that trauma still sticks with me today. I'm, I work on that trauma all the time. The trauma of, of um, feeling like I'm not enough that builds up into the never having enough, never doing enough, always doing more. So the trauma of not being enough 
to keep my family together that turned into you know doing things for people that didn't really have the best interest in me for me in mind the trauma of you know people coming and going so the trauma of my father not being there and the trauma of having to live a second life basically and not be who I wanted not be who I was in front of my grandparents or in front of family friends because we have this secret life and all these traumas made it to where I was disassociated with myself and to even feel on an okay level I was my vibration was just so low at so such a young age that drinking and drugging really lifted those though triggered those you know endorphins and and I was feeling like a little bit I don't know I I don't know exactly the the the, what to call it without trying to idolize it so (laughs) I don't want to trigger anybody (laughs) you know um and so you know just like on that level of of something else and and realizing that it wasn't um you're you didn't realize you were just stuffing all that trauma well and you said something about not feeling like you were enough right and I I feel like that is a common kind of trauma that a lot of people with substance use or mental health issues have is that not feeling enough and so sometimes those those thoughts come back to you right so you can be going along just fine in your recovery and then bam one of those thoughts hits you and it kind of can throw you for a loop so how do you spot those like negative thinking patterns and and what do you do to change those that those ones are hard they really start from childhood I I recently went home and realized that there was things that I see you know my nieces and nephews doing and it's all the same pattern of your automatic first thought be a negative one and that can come with this chaos in your life and so, so that I would think a negative thought, and then of course it would just be predictive thinking. It'd be a spiral downhill, just anxiety overthinking movie <laughs> that wasn't playing in my head. And so, um, the when I, like just personally, when I had my breakdown in June last year of 2020, then I started to like I said, go within myself and do the meditation thing and positive affirmations. And I started eating right, drinking plenty of water. That's, that's a main thing as well. And I began to notice the triggers. So once my body was completely clear of any intoxications and I was eating right in a way and going within myself, just breathing, just, just breathe, just breathe for a second. It, it really does a lot <laughs> for your body. I started noticing the triggers. I started noticing the thoughts when they came in automatically, instead of allowing myself to go follow those thoughts, they were able to just really go by my head and just kind of one ear and out the other. And so, I mean, the, these, these, triggers were words they were situations they they were even strangers strangers would come and I they would want to be friends you know but I just wasn't ready yet and I'm just you know have these 
all these things from that I didn't realize I was dealing with these traumas from childhood that were coming up and they were triggering these negative thoughts. And so what, what I, what I started doing is that I started boundaries, boundary work, um, boundary work within myself, boundary work with people around me. And, and, and then it allowed me to ch- take charge of my thinking patterns and, and to start stepping back and, and stepping back out of my head and into just my power of who I am as a person. And, the, and stepping into my power as a person is that, that was scary. That was scary because that's internal power that you didn't realize you had. And except instead of looking on the outward for all that idolized power that you know we are programmed to to think anyway um and so once i started noticing my triggers because my mind was clear i i that's when i really started meditating and i just meditated every chance that that i could really um between between appointments between anything between eating between every every chance i had i was meditating even for five minutes three minutes didn't matter and then eventually I was in, um, I enrolled myself into family treatment court through this whole time in last year in June, 2020 in June. And one of the staff members said that I had this gift to turn a positive into a negative. And I didn't realize it was a gift, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, happy birthday to me. Here I go. And, and that's when I realized that changing the way I was thinking was actually working the noticing the triggers, noticing the, the thoughts, stopping them. And at that point in time, I just would let them go. I didn't turn them into positives yet. I just realized that I was rewiring my brain. Uh, I was doing something that I never done before in, in a recovery sense. And so I like to call that part. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, I like to call that part me being a pumpkin seed. So I'm a pumpkin seed in this pumpkin. There's nothing but yucky, gucky stuff around me. And all I know, all I see is dark, you know, because I don't know exactly where I'm going. And that's okay to feel in early recovery. And, and that's your mental health, not knowing which pathway to take at that point in time. And so that's, I like to say when I'm curious, when I don't know my next move, when I don't know my next step, I'm definitely the pumpkin seed just sitting there waiting to get carved out. And, and that's how you feel too. You, you physically feel that way. Uh, so I just remained curious through my journey. And then just every time I got scooped out of that pumpkin, positive thinking just started happening. Positive thinking started happening because I just was enough at that point in time for myself. So you, you talked about how you can change those negative thinking patterns and, and how you personally can see them in yourself. Is there a way for you to tell, you know, how you're getting close to uh, potentially uh, derailing your recovery or, you know, going off the path that you have? Is there, is there a way that you can tell what that, where that is? And, and if so, how do you keep yourself from going past that point oh yeah definitely in in the beginning I didn't realize that there was a place of no return when it comes to my mental stability and and I like to call that my threshold so I had a therapist explain this threshold to me once and and she explained it um as a graph so there's two lines to the graph you know and number one through ten 
uh, both sides and let's say number seven is your threshold and you wake up in the morning and you're late and so you wake up in a panic and boom your number goes up then you are rushing out the door you don't even know if you brush your teeth and you know you're sitting there you get to work jill's talking about all these problems you realize you don't brush your teeth boom your threshold you know you're closer to this threshold of just normal everyday things and in early recovery these normal things aren't so normal to our blood pressure and our anxiety and your mental health is is really at a really fragile state in early recovery so now it's lunchtime right and you're going to get lunch and you know person in front of you is taking so long and you don't realize that you have errands to do so now your threshold's getting closer and closer and and then say you do get coffee. This this happens to me all the time. If I got coffee and I was close to my threshold, it was over. It was over. My Once I hit my threshold and that's past the point where my blood pressure just never has been lowered. My anxiety level never got lowered throughout my whole day. So the feds are after me. I'm going to jail. If I UA right now, I'm popping hot and that's it. I'm going to the mountains and I am going to fight for survival. Is That's where I go. I fight or flight automatically pass my threshold my threshold brings up ptsd and i can't can't trust nobody and everybody's against me and all these things that i didn't realize i didn't realize i would live my life normally like that in chaos when i was drinking and drugging and not mentally stable and so when i started to realize about this threshold when i when i when i seen it drawn out for me and she just told me about everyday things, I, I started realizing that, yeah, it was a pattern. So all of a sudden, throughout my whole week, I was just fine. But then by Thursday, I reached my threshold and, you know, I'm I, my mind is not stable. There's some dramatic things happening. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at myself because... <laughs> There's just so many things that would pop in my head. You know, I just couldn't trust nobody. Uh, new friends, I couldn't trust them. They were part of the, uh, oh God, I can't even say it. I don't even know. Anyway, <laughs> all these things. And and so to stand on my threshold, I started doing simple, simple practices. Of course, the meditation thing came in handy. That was really hard to do, to, to silence my mind and to stop for even three minutes. Yeah, probably not to do anything longer than 20 minutes yeah nap time so those things they took practice but the simple little things I started to do is I got little sticky note dots sticky dots and I started putting them on my door I put them on my dash in my car mirrors I started putting those everywhere on my my computer screen and that was a little reminder to just stop and breathe and then proceed stop and breathe and proceed and that's what I continued to do every time I left the house when I looked in the mirror and when I got in my car at a red light I see the dot and it just reminded me just quickly ground and that would lower my anxiety lower my blood pressure little by little to the point where I stayed at a steady three you know throughout the whole day all the time I stay at a steady steady three and I started not overbooking myself I started realizing that the keeping myself under my threshold was enough for my recovery and was enough for my sobriety that it, it was just, it was, I, I still, even in the, till this day, I have not reached my threshold after doing these simple practices. 
uh, I can meditate for 20 minutes now and not fall asleep. And that's how I know my brain's healing. My body's healing. I'm doing the internal work. And, and with those simple practices, um, and checking all the boxes, I was able to get my daughter back within three months. We have our own place now. I have a vehicle. I have a good car. I'm like a good job. I have good people around me. And um, the universe really works once you're doing once you're doing the internal work. Is everything else on the outside is 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 really not as important as as taking care of yourself mentally and physically. All that stuff adds up. So there's just it's really simple steps. And because they're so simple, I feel like we overlook them, you know, like, oh, we can, what do you mean? We can just breathe and continue. That's no, aren't we breathing right now? Aren't we breathing? Yeah, we are, but not the same. It's not the same as sitting there and being okay with who you are at that point in time before you proceed to who the outside world sees. I I think meditation sometimes is intimidating for people and you think that there's a a certain way that you have to do it and you have to spend a certain amount of time doing it right in order for it to be effective. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you made that? Because I mean, it, it sounds to me like the thought of meditating for three minutes at the beginning was just not something that you thought you could do. So can you tell me a little bit about how you made that progress? Oh my gosh, that was such hard work. <laughs> such hard work. What I did was I started meditating in between every every chance I can get so before my appointments I would stop and be in my car and I would just meditate the whole sticky dots helped me go within for just a second so that I can know I can feel safe within myself and I think it's a lot of a safety thing I do not know how 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 it works yet on upping my time in meditation or being okay with sitting still that one's that one's hard sitting still is hard and you know that's 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 a good that's a good question I would I think that I got okay with it by just the dots the dots has really helped me because it's only a second a second of my time and to shut off my mind so when when I did my first meditation they want you to do the breathing thing so you want to pay attention to your breaths and there is a there's a pause you know at the top of your breath and at the bottom of your inhale or an exhale or whatever there's a pause and I started looking for those pauses and those pauses came easier to notice when I looked at the dots so when I looked at the dots noticed those two pauses boom I'm out I'm good let's let's go take over the world or whatever I was thinking at the time you know but meditation is hard it is hard to stop stop your thoughts but you don't have to stop your thoughts. That's the best part about it. You don't have to be in a certain position and you don't have to be at a certain place. And, and it's nice to be peaceful in a, you know, the Lotus pose and incense and all these things, but it's not really practical. People don't, people don't live like that. (laughs) We're not monks, we're humans. (laughs) And um, so it was hard to stop my brain and it still is. When I see thoughts, I kind of just Google at them and let them flow by just, just like your breaths, you know, it's, and they're okay to come They're They're coming for a reason. Your, your meditation is not easy. Practice is not, but breathing that one's easy. I, I would start with breathing. <laughs> yeah. 
You are a rapper. You've talked a little bit about music. Can you tell us more about how music plays into your recovery? Sure. Yeah, definitely. So music is amazing to me. It's a sense of therapy. It's it's a type of therapy. And it's a way to tell my story in a creative way. It's a way to heal from my story and the traumas that the things that I rap about or sing about, they're things that I really lived and things that I've experienced. And if, if we just hold those things within ourselves, they build up and, and then boom, there you, there you go trying to mask it um, somehow. And so music to me is, is therapeutic and, and to be able to share my story with other people and they can relate to it. And maybe I'm saying something that they can't say out loud, but when they hear it, they realize they're not alone. And, and it, it gives me a sense of my healing. I just feel like it's a healing, it's a healing thing. And it's fun. It's a fun, it's a different adrenaline rush. So I'm like, I'm just all of a sudden I'm on stage in front of 200 people and boom, I feel the rush that drugs used to give me. And boom, I feel this, 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 these awesome endorphins coming out and what I can feel these normally without any kind of things I could just, you know, and so of course, most of us with uh, mental health issues or addiction issues are adrenaline junkies. Let's just say it. It's not, it's not a secret. <laughs> so there's different ways we can get those, those rushes. And that is how I, that's how I feel music is. The first time I was on stage, I, I performed, opened up for Afro Man in 2018. And this was the most people I had, had performed in front of. And that's when I knew it. I was just like, Poof, that's it. That's it. It's done. I'm doing this. This is, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for this. Yeah, and after that, I kind of took off. I did Vegas shows, LA shows, and all over Montana. And and uh, and the sad part is that my addiction brought me away from it. Boom, that's it. I, I just told, and it's taken a couple years off, but I'm I'm doing it up again. I have features. I got more music out. I just um, enrolled into this coast to coast thing, and people have to vote for me. And I got the text today saying that I can do the performance, and then I got to look into more. And so that's in October of this year to 2021 and I'll be going to LA to perform and we'll see what happens then. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Cool. Exciting. So where, where can people find your music? You can find me on YouTube under tattoo fam. That's spelled T A double T the number two and F E M M. That's all one word. It's hard. I don't know why I thought of the hardest name in the world, but tattoo fam, that's my, that's, you can find me on there. Uh, I'm on Facebook and under Savannah Webb, I'm on face, Facebook. And I think I'm going to change it to my stage name so that I can have a separation, but yeah, you can find my music on there. SoundCloud, all platforms. You can just Google that name and, and you can find my music. So tattoo fam, T-A-T-T number two, F-E-M-M. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, this has been a really great conversation, Savannah. It's wonderful talking to you. You're so positive, and and um, I think you know those little dots. Actually, I've never heard anybody do that kind of thing before. It's a great way to have that visual that that would make you just stop for a second yeah. and and think. So I think that's great advice for somebody. Yeah, I think so too. They really helped me, and they still help me to this day. Great.
Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Montana Peer Network. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.